Hey, what's up, gang? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Muscle Minds on a Monday. We're going to have drugs and stuff out on Wednesday. Victoria joins us for that one. It's going to be some fun. Uh, but today, since the Olympia just happened, Ron and Dusty literally just got home and they wanted to hop on the mic immediately. So we're going to talk about the Olympia while it's still hot. Uh, did Derek deserve to win? You know, that's going to be the question of the day. Plus, what the heck was up with Hottie walking off stage like that? Uh, I'd love to get your feedback, too. So head over to the YouTube page, 1.30 Eastern Standard Time today. Hang out with Ron Dusty and I. Then later in the week, we'll have drugs and stuff. And of course, Friday will be blood, sweat and gear. If you guys are part of Patreon, I have some special features over there, plus some early releases of our podcasts. Thank you guys for supporting the programming and we'll see you soon. Uh, guys, you were watching Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. And of course, all of our programming is brought to you by the people from Patreon. So thank you very much for all your support. We are brought to you by BYOBBcoach.com. That's Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. You can get Scott's book at the URL I mentioned, or you can go to Amazon to get the hardcover. Um, we are, and you can reach out to Scott too for consultations, and you can reach out to me for coachingmcnallydiets at gmail.com. We'll have our, our contact info below. Um, and of course, truenutrition.com, they are the title sponsor of all of our content. Go to them for some high quality carb powders, proteins, everything you freaking need. They've got it. Scott, so here's the deal. Rep tempo. It's become mm -hmm. kind of a hot topic on the channel in the last couple of weeks. Ron Dusty okay. and I did a reaction video to in uh, um, one of Mike Menser's later videos. And he had um, Marcus, was it Reinhold? Is that his last name? I think, yeah. He's an okay. American, but he's totally... Totally German. Super German. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. Uh, he he was having Marcus do very slow concentrics. And mm -hmm. Ron and Dusty had both said that they would get more aggressive with that, that they would drive harder, that they felt that using a faster, more aggressive concentric would activate more tissue. And it was interesting because there was a number of people that commented. In fact, I brought one of the comments here today. We're not doing this to call anybody out, so I left his name out. But this is a true, this is a thing. This is a, a fact that you could see there was a percentage of people that are doing slow concentrics and they feel that this is the way. So I thought, who better to talk to uh, about with this but than you? Uh, the comment was, uh, for, for building muscle, why would you explode through a rep? It makes no sense for building muscle. It is proven that time under tension is what builds muscle. Exploding through a rep is for sports and uh, to build explosiveness. Um, slow concentrics help with time under tension. It works. Teaching people to explode every rep makes it uncontrollable and injuries are caused. Now, I will say, too, that we, we did address this on the next episode of It's Just Bodybuilding, and Ron never meant that you should be explosive and careless with your reps. He, he means to load that weight up so heavy, basically, that it's still mm -hmm. going to move slow. You're pushing with everything you have, yeah, but it's, it's still that. not moving fast because the weight is loaded so heavy. Leave that comment up if you could so we can sure kind thing. of have there's some bits and pieces. Okay. Um, and carnivore muscle popped in. He says that explosive concentrics are one of the biggest myths in hypertrophy training. Um, I, I didn't know that that was a sort of a myth per se um, that has been perpetuated. You have to do that. So the, the first thing is um, if we look at what's in that comment there, and this is just sort of, this is nice that he outlined, he outlined some of the things that I thought we could mention in regards to this question is if you want to get more time under tension, there's a nice review by Wilk et al. that people can look up from last two or three years. 
There's like actually a couple of them, one on kind of acute responses when you vary rep tempo, changing the eccentric concentric ratio, basically longer or shorter rep tempos. You can vary those ratios. And also he has a review um, on uh, the effect of hypertrophy. And if you move with a faster, with a given weight, if you move with a slower rep tempo, you'll tend to have a higher time under tension, right? Um, and if you're looking, for instance, for more time under tension, you also want to do higher reps, which means using a lighter load. Okay. So exactly what you, I'm getting to exactly what you said, is if you're using a lighter load and you're trying to move it explosively, well, then you're doing power training, right? And you're just throwing weights around. Um, and you, and you're, if you're trying to move like a 60% of a one rep max or 7%, no, you're, 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 you're more than likely if you're being ballistic and explosive with light weights like that, you're, you're losing your mind muscle connection because of the effort level that's involved. So let's say you start, um, a lighter load, we'll just talk about load now. Um, and you're, cause you want to have t- more time under tension, let's say, cause that's the way you want to go. And there's a nice study by Carrera, which we talked about a few weeks back, maybe it was not last, it was a month ago, maybe six weeks ago we did this. Um, so if you're using a light load and, uh, you start throwing the weight around, um, you're going to, you're going to, to do that, you have to activate pretty much all the muscle you have. We're assuming you're doing like a compound movement here just to make this simple. Okay. So you're going to have difficulty maintaining a mind muscle connection. And the studies show basically that you can, most of them have done with, been done with bench press and you can have an individual do a bench press and say, I want you to use your pecs. Um, or you can have an individual want to do a bench press. I want you to use your triceps and people can do that. You look at the EMGs and the relative ratio of pec to tricep or vice versa is as wished up until maybe an 80% of a one rep max. So if you start moving lighter loads ballistically, now you've got higher effort. I'm kind of extrapolating this idea. Now you've got higher effort and now you're missing out on your mind muscle connection because let's say you take that 15, 20 rep max load. And you just flip it as hard as you can for the first yeah. 10 reps. Well, the only way you can do that, especially if it's a max effort like that with that light load, is by using the let's say if it's a some kind of pressing movement. You're using your delts and your triceps and your pecs. So you're missing the point of doing that movement if, it, if you're trying to train your chest. Right? Sure. So, yeah, exactly what, what Ron was saying and what you just said it applies is that when, you, when you're lifting heavier loads, right, um, the idea of being explosive um, is different than if you're lifting lighter loads because you're not going to actually have any explosiveness. In fact, in fact, if, generally speaking, if you look at where you have the most power, if you want to use power as your measure of what explosive is or what ballistic is, it's around 30% of a one rep max. That's a super light load in terms of force times velocity of movement. That's how that's how power is defined, right? I, Once can you, you get explain to, that for me a little bit? I, yeah. I, can you say that again? Because I'm not. It's super interesting. Clear. Yeah. So, so as you increase, as you as you go from a really light load, let's right. say you're at like the barbell, right? Just the yeah. bar. Um, and you move that. You bench. You, you incline press it as fast as you can. Right. It's a light load, but you move it really fast. So your power is the load times the speed of movement. You could average that throughout a rep. And let's say then you add, you know fives on there or tens on there and you progressively uh, increase to get to about 30% of a wonder at max. So maybe you're, maybe for you, that's like 95 pounds. Okay. Now you have uh, more force, but you can't quite move it as fast. But when you multiply force and velocity, that gives you power, right? 
and that's optimized around 30% of a one rep max. And that's actually okay. what we see when we look at isolated muscle too. So if you can, you can produce force curves and velocity curves. So the, the heavier the load, the slower you can possibly move it. You can't move a, a two rep max very, very fast or an eight rep max load very, very fast. Yeah. But you can move a 30% of one rep max really pretty fast. I and at see. that, if you were talking about power, you know, for development of, of true power, if you define it as such as that, so technically speaking, the physics in the fit world of physics, it's a really light load and you're moving it ballistically. So if you get up to heavier loads that are still light in terms of what, what typically will be used for most bodybuilding training, if you're trying to move those things ballistically and you're, so you're moving them as fast as you can, your power is not quite optimal, but your power is still higher. Um, I believe John Gar Garhammer's done a lot of these measurements. It varies a little bit depending on the, the movement that you look at. But if you're moving at a fast, fast velocity like that, you're going to lose your mind muscle connection. Yeah. This is the max okay. effort. So if you take a, a, you know, let's say you got someone, you know, newbie in the gym and you, and you tell some untrained person, just move that barbell as fast as they can. And they, it's a, it's a weight they can do 25 reps with. Well, they're just, it's just sloppy form. They don't got a mind, good mind muscle connection. They're using tons of elastic energy. Yeah. They've got a stretch shortening cycle, all this kind of stuff that isn't going to be what you want in terms of activating a target muscle to reduce muscle growth there. So when you're training then with, with lighter loads, it, it would make sense to be to not be ballistic slow and, it down. To, and slow it down some because when it's slower, then you can have a better mind-muscle connection and train the muscle that you want as opposed to training accessory muscles. Okay. Yeah, so we're kind of – there's a whole – this is a kind of a complex but interesting question. If you get up to a heavy load that you simply can't move rapidly, Yeah. right, Um when you when you have an intention to move that heavy load quickly, yes. So let's say you're moving a load that you know you can do the first rep and it takes 1.2 seconds concentrically, right? Okay. Um, versus taking that same load and let's say you're going to do a two second concentric. To do that one centric 1.2 second concentric, that's going to you're going to have higher muscle activation during that period of time, right? You're going to have you're going you're going to activate more motor units in order to do that. Okay. But it still is not ballistic. True. It's still, it's still slow, right? You're still not moving that fast, right? And what happens with those heavier loads then is with the faster rep tempos, you will tend to have more repetitions. You'll tend to have lower um, time under tension, but you'll have more repetitions. This okay. is what's kind of complicated. Um, but what, that, what, you, what, what you do then is have more workload, Right. So you do 12 reps versus eight. So you go real slow with that heavy load. Um, and let's say you do like three second reps, right? And you do eight, eight of those. Um, and you have a controlled eccentric. And let's say you get 30 seconds for that, for that set, as opposed to you go a little bit faster and you get 12 reps and you only get, it only take, it takes you 22 seconds. Okay. Right. But you just did 12 reps and the eccentrics were relatively equivalent. So with that faster rep tempo, you, you had a greater workload. And what, what doing those concentrics a little bit in a ballistic fashion or in a sort of explosive fashion does is limits, limits the muscle fatigue that you um, accrue. Because, and you can see that because you got more reps, right? And allows you to have more loading in the eccentric portion of the repetition. Mm. And if we, if, we, if we, and this is, 
There's a Brad Schoenfeld has a nice meta-analysis. It's been a little bit old now, and most of these studies are comparing um, isokinetic devices where they look at just concentric all out versus just eccentric all out. But mm. eccentric, it wasn't statistically significant in terms of um, effect size, but there was like a 10.0% increase in muscle size versus 6.8 when they compared eccentric versus concentric. So eccentric is more potent to a certain degree in terms of producing muscle growth. Sure. So if you want to, if you're looking at how you're dosing each set, you've got 30 seconds, eight rep set, eight negatives versus 22 seconds. So less time under tension, but 12 eccentrics. Hmm. And you've got a, a higher potent set, so to speak, because you've got more time under tension in those motor units that are active during the eccentrics and eccentrics aren't very fatiguing at all. Yeah. So you've got a different configuration there. I'm just comparing those, those relatively high loads. So here's the thing. Um, you can look at the Wilk, whoever maybe has said this quote that we're looking at, you look at the Wilk, the data is all over the place. Some, some studies show that slower reps are better than faster reps for muscle growth. And some say the opposite. And they've, of course, as we see all across all the studies and almost all the studies in exercise science, everyone uses a different um, protocol. They come up with their own conditions and they compare like six seconds concentric, concentric, four centric, eccentric, five seconds concentric, three seconds eccentric, four seconds, four seconds concentric, two seconds eccentric. It's like you look at the next study. It's a different configuration. It's like all oh, over God. the place. I know it's a pain in the ass, right? So depending on the individual and the exercise and how well they can have a mind-muscle connection at those different rep tempos, you've got all these variables changing all at once. But let's take a, if we take a step back and look at the idea of time under tension, and that's one thing that does vary when you compare heavy training with light training. And we have this study by Carrera that came out um, just in this last year or so. This is with postmenopausal women. This is the one we talked about. You remember this? It was about six weeks, two months ago. Okay. And they had a heavy load and a light load condition. Oh, they trained yes. them for yeah, 12 weeks in heavy load or light load. And then and they took like a one or two week pause. And then they and then they crossed over. And what they did, they had they had high and low responders. So some women did better in terms of muscle growth initially. Um, and then some were in the heavy load, some were in the light load group. And then they crossed them over. And they saw what you would expect of law of diminishing returns applied. They didn't grow as much in the second half. And those were the, the high responders initially, regardless of heavy or light load. Hmm. And then the low responders who didn't do as well, regardless of heavy or light load, when they switched over, they did better. There was like one exception. And that person didn't respond in either to case. Anything. Uh. <laughs> anything. That was just kind of a non-responder. Just, you know, whatever. And yeah. it, like like you, you asked a very, very good question. Do we know what caused this? It could be lifestyle. It could be desire to train with heavy versus light loads, how much pain they can tolerate, simply the, the mechanisms involved with muscle growth, individual specific to that person's genetics. We don't know exactly what, what the causes were. What we did see in that in particular, that those who didn't do well with heavy or light load, when they switched over to one or the other, and we can, I'm going to use a surrogate for lo load here and call that surrogate time under tension, mm -hmm. since that was a term that's, that was used before. Um, and time retention is also a surrogate for rep speed that some people do better with higher load, lower load or versus lower load. Some people do better with higher time and attention versus lower time and attention. Some people do better with higher rep speed versus lower rep speed. 
right? There's variability in all these things. Some people do better. Another study, Dama et al., with higher frequency, lower, um, higher volume versus lower frequency, lower volume. That was a study we've talked about here a few times. So um, the thing is, is that for some people, um, they're going to do better with higher time under tension, training with low, low, lighter loads. So I'm going to stop there. I have some more thoughts, but I, I, I think you might have a question or something. Maybe we need to see if we're getting good comments. Well, I, there was something I wanted to say. This is, and this has been my personal experience. And, and then I've seen this after it was something I learned, I've, I've applied it to others and I've watched their experience. So there was a time that I would treat all of my reps super controlled, both the concentric and the eccentric. And it would, it would basically be like a, a one-to-one, meaning if I was doing like a, a three-count concentric, it was a three-count eccentric. And um, I, I remember training with Shelby one day we were training legs and generally I met with him to train back every week. We trained back mm. on Wednesdays and I happened to get like a Saturday off the day he trained legs. So we're training legs and we were at the Detroit Highland park powerhouse. We are on the hack squat and I'm doing my reps. It's my turn. And, and we had worked up to, you know, a pretty brutal weight, you know, a, a hardworking set. And we were going to do three sets at the time. I think it was like super high volume work that we would do three hour mm-hmm. leg workouts. And, and he said, Hey, why are you going so controlled on your concentric? Why, why are you not being more explosive with it? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, try it and see how it feels. So I tried it. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was it was much more fatiguing. And, and now let me define too. I think that, I think that when people hear of being aggressive on your concentric portion of your rep, they're imagining, um, just like, like you said, the, the, the term ballistic, they're imagining just all that, you know, just the elastic, the bounce, the mm-hmm. momentum, all of that. And, and that is the opposite of what I'm talking about. Dave Smith, big Dave Smith had mm-hmm. a great analogy. He said, imagine if you were, if you're, if you're in a car with your grandmother and you don't want to whip her head around, you can still take off fast from the line and you can still mm. come in hard to the next stop sign. But you have to control it. You don't just hit your foot on the, on the gas. You ease your foot onto the pedal and you can build mm-hmm. that speed up rapidly without using momentum and jerking your grandma's head back. And then the same mm-hmm. thing comes with the end of the rep or before you get to the stop sign, you can at the end with the right technique decelerate and, and, and get to that stop sign without jerking your head forward. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Driving as aggressively as you can without whipping your grandma's head around, you know? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. discovered that when I've done that, that I just feel it so much deeper in the fibers. It feels like so many more fibers get activated that I'm kind of, I almost feel like I'm protecting them if I just kind of keep it at a creep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's it's controlled um, effort to to produce a, an acceleration with the weight, as opposed to maintain sort of a constant velocity. Yeah. And what happens that tra- that transition is that, that transition is important too about being bouncy with things. So, like if you start dropping the eccentrics, like you said, and 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 don't don't have some breaking when you transition from an eccentric to a concentric then you're going to have a stretch shortening cycle, right? And that probably is not what we want because you can just be super bouncy. Yeah. But 
you know, if someone, someone, and I'm, I think this is kind of what someone like Ronnie Coleman was probably doing. Not that it's maybe the best thing for a skeleton in the long run. <clears throat> someone can pick up a heavy weight um, and be so, and, and have a really strong activation of those muscle fibers, but it's so heavy. They can only move it if they have both good activation. So they're not like, they're not, there's no deactivation of the muscle fibers as they lower the weight rapidly. It's just so damn heavy yeah. that they, they've got good activation and they got a stretch shortening cycle going at the same time. Hmm. Um, carnivore muscle mentioned Henneman size principle. And he says that um, muscle fiber activation is dictated by difficulty, challenge, not speed. Um, and yeah, if you take a, a given load and try to move it at a fast, if you move it at a faster velocity, you're going to need to use more motor units to do that. And that's going to follow Henneman size principle from low threshold to high threshold. So I'm not what, sure. is that, what does that mean? How does that, how does that Henneman's, tie into what we're saying here? Uh, we were talking about um, when, when you, when you move, let's say you're what I was talking about the two second versus 1.2 second reps. Yeah. So let's make it a five second repetition. Okay. Right. And it's with, 200 pounds, whatever exercise There's something that you can, you could, you can move and you can get from bottom to top in one and a half seconds, but instead you do five seconds. Okay. Right? So especially during that first one and a half seconds of both of those reps to do the work from bottom to top in one and a half seconds versus to do whatever that would be 30% of that work because you're doing a five second rep in the slow condition is going to require more motor units being activated. Okay. Right? So that happens according to Henneman's size principle. It's a size principle based on the size of the motor neurons in the spinal cord, and it dictates the order of activation of motor units, uh, recruitment of motor units. And they, when you start off with lighter loads, easier things, he's totally right here in terms of difficult challenge, something that's easy, you'll use the low threshold. Those tend to be the type one um, motor fibers. They call them slow sometimes. Yeah. White, use different terminology that's used. It's really kind of a... Um, it's a false use of the nomenclature because you're really looking at when you're talking about neurological things, you're looking at motor units. When you're talking at, about fiber typing, usually we're talking about the myosin heavy chain that's used, and that's a type one um, fiber type. So you, you you go from these endurance oriented motor units eventually to those that are a little bit fat, tend to be faster in terms of their fiber, so okay. their vo maximal velocities that aren't as endurance oriented. And finally, when you get to something that's very very heavy, normally you see maybe 85, 90% of the motor units are being at least activated. I'm sorry, 85% of the one rep max, most of the, or all the unit motor units are being activated just to move that load. Yeah. Um, they may not be activated at a maximal firing rate, um, um, but they're being activated highly. So that's just this, this one of the most robust phenomena in muscle physiology is Henneman size principle. There's only a couple exceptions where you see anything outside this order. So it's always like, you guys go first, you guys go second, you guys go third, you guys go fourth. It's always that way. And yeah. the, the more difficult the task, or in this case, I'm talking about moving the same load at a faster rate, you're doing more work in a given unit of time. You need to use more muscle mass in order to happen. So you need to call on more of those, those motor units to make that happen. And that's So that's why you would, moving faster, you would feel, you, that's why I would feel it more, you're saying? Yeah, well, it's harder. It's basically harder. I, I mean, see. if you look at moving 200 pounds in one and a half seconds from bottom to top versus five seconds, it's harder. Okay. You need to activate more motor units to do so. Yeah. Right? And, and I'll, I got to tell you, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm not a scientist, right? I'm, I'm a guy in the gym who's done this for 
a couple decades in and I've been able to intuitively figure that out for myself. And part of me has mm -hmm. to ask how much of that comes down to having had so many experiences in the gym, having lifted so many reps. And I wonder if what Ron is talking about is something that is more advanced, that a new guy can't just come in and do that. Maybe the newer guy does need to use more controlled concentrics in order mm. to be able to keep them the you know maybe he's just not there yet maybe he doesn't have that mind muscle connection that it takes that a guy like ron or maybe even myself might take for granted you know this is just how you what you yeah. do absolutely i mean i uh, ben pakulski uh you know this was his sort of thing um and Cosm hansen now is is ben was interacting with Cosm back in the that's sort of a, a sorted story from what i understand but Ben's big thing for years was all about learning how to activate the target muscle, right? Yeah. And you got to learn how you need to learn how to do the extra or find the exercises that work well for you and be able to create the right activation pattern so that you're training the target muscle. And that was kind of his first gig, but that wasn't, and he actually, I can't remember all the things he published, but he, he actually, he and I had a conversation once about this and he said, exactly. That's, that's stage one, like learn how to act, learn to know what you're training when you're doing certain exercises and learn how to develop a feel, so to speak, um, mind-muscle connection. And then, of course, progressive overload is important, and, and being able to then take that skill set and apply that to heavier loading. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the next next stage. So the interesting thing, like just something about um, this is this is a, kind of a generalized thought, but if you're using slow concentrics, let's say you're going, you know, three seconds. I don't know how slow some of the folks who are really big on the slow concentrics are. Are, are doing their repetitions. But let's say that like being able to um, do complete your repetition in two and a half seconds or three seconds or maybe two seconds means that you're doing the repetition. And if you can't, then you failed, right? So if, you, if you're going two seconds, two seconds, two seconds, you come to the end of your set and the next rep takes two seconds and you haven't quite finished it, then are you done? I don't know. Hmm. But, but I would imagine that what happens then, because you, you do get more time under tension when you're doing your, your, your reps slower like that, you will you'll get fewer reps. But at the end of those sets, if your criterion for reaching failure is not that you can't move the weight anymore, that literally it starts to it starts going up and then it stops. Okay. And it starts to come down. That's that, then you fail, right? Then you're done. If your criterion is I'm not completing my reps on this tempo, um, then you're going to be shot. You're going to miss some reps in reserve, uh. right? Um, and that would be it. Can be a negative of that if you're if you're that. And we're talking about you know at the beginning. Of this is like people being super over, you know, sort of obsessive about having like this really slow, controlled, perfect form. And uh. and I haven't seen as many things as that relate to this maybe as you have. But if all of a sudden like you start to slow down, where you're not going to get your rep in in the two seconds. <clears throat> and then you just stop. Well, you could be missing. You could be leaving several reps in the tank. Okay. Um, Which makes the, sense. The other thing. Yeah. Versus if you're the driving other... with everything you've got, you're just mm -hmm. always driving with everything you've got. You're always yeah. driving hard, no matter, I, I mean, obviously using control, but it, it, as the weight gets heavier, it just slows down. You're not trying to adhere to a particular amount of time on your concentric you're just trying right. to drive it up with everything you've got every time so you can't get another rep regardless of yeah. how long it takes um 
the other thing too, like just a general thought that occurred to me thinking about this is that um, you're going to get more reps. You're going to be able to lift heavier rate weight for the same amount of reps. If you move the weight more rapidly, doesn't mean, you know, be just stupid and ballistic about it, but sure. faster, faster rep tempos mean heavier weight. Um, I don't know what that means. The main, the bottom line is picking a rep tempo um, that allows you that you can progress with. So progressive overload, standardize however you execute and then move forward. Right. But if, if for those individuals, um, I'm going to kind of take a step back because we don't have research on this and just use, you know, kind of, kind of still Dante's line here um, about lifting heavy slag iron. But if, if your, if your strategy is one that you want to produce the strength gains that you possibly can, we know pretty solidly from the research that he- training with heavier weights or lower rep ranges produces the greatest strength gains, right? And we know on average that you can train with light, light, light weight and heavier weight and get on average equivalent strength gains or sorry, hypertrophy gains. But we know there's differences as far as that goes. That's from the Carreras study. And I've always suspected that. And then now to take it sort of Dante, um, idea i always want to give him credit for this because you know he he said this so many times over the years um and i thought and knew it too is that if you take someone who has fought tooth and nail um and some people just have the gifts to get there they can just get there and be incredibly strong but you take someone who doesn't train as a power lifter they train still in bodybuilding rep ranges and they get as strong as they possibly can like the six to twelve rep range and they're getting to where they're they're deadlifting 500, 600 pounds off the floor are doing rack deads with 500, 600 pounds, right? They're doing squats with four or five plates for 10, 12, 15 reps. And they're doing incline presses with 275, 315 or what have you. It's, it's going to be visible, right? So this is not to say you can't get there with slower rep tempos and more time under tension. Um, there's lots of guys that are just, but if you look at almost all the big guys, even the guys that are relatively weak, who are pros who are just incredibly muscular, they're still using crazy loads. Sure. You know? And there's plenty of examples of guys who use very, very good control, extreme, like, and they use heavy, heavy loads. But I, I wonder to what degree we can take that information because a lot of those guys train with the, with the pro split. Um, there's reasons that why that doesn't work as well for others. Many other people do well with a higher frequency regime as in DC training and fortitude training. But I think Here's here's the point I'm getting at, is if you find a way as an individual to get as strong as humanly possible, and you're going to have to eat to support that and do everything else to support that, where you are one of the strongest mofos in your gym, to the extent to which your genetics are going to allow, you're going to look like you're one of the strongest mofos in the gym. You're going to be big, (laughs) right? And And if we just take this little bit, this little piece from the research that suggests that greater strength gains are had, from training with heavier loads, which is going to mean generally faster repetitions and being and and and, and training in a, in a way that 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 proffers that or that um, favors strength gain. So being sort of ex- aggressive with your repetitions with those heavy weights, that's going to be the best way that most people are going to get to those heavy heavy loads. You can get there the other way around, but pretty much. I mean, I'm, this is just kind of, you know, old school in the trenches. I'm, I, I don't hardly, I can't think of anyone offhand who got really, really strong um, 
training in a completely controlled, you yeah. know, super, super controlled way. Um, there, I can think of some people who've gotten that, but I haven't seen it personally. I know of people I've, I've trained with, but as far as people I like trained alongside people that I coached, they got to get aggressive. So if you don't have the genetics to grow that way, getting aggressive, I think at some point at least makes sense because you get the strength gains and strength gains are par and parcel with, with muscle, with progressive overload. And that's the form follows function, which I, I like to assume getting big at nasty ass strong is going to get you nasty ass big to some degree. I think that's probably something that Ron and Dusty would both agree with right there. Like that, yeah, that's pretty so. foundational and it's pretty simple, but I feel like it took us this whole conversation to get to that. And that makes total mm-hmm. sense. Like that, that is the answer. And, and I feel like maybe, maybe I wasn't always in a place where I was capable of having the aggression that I can in a rep today. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that maybe somebody else is just in that place where they're getting there. I had to spend a lot of years getting stronger first. Right. And I think too, though, and here, here's the thing, this is tough. I mean, once you get like, let's say, like, let's say dusty, let's say yeah. you, you take dusty and you have like, okay, dusty, we're going to, we're going to, you're going to train with nothing but, um, like one arm, uh, cable pull downs at a very specific ankle angle with a pinky twist. Right. And you're going to have a slow and controlled tempo. And Dusty's actually really controlled with his with his training, from what I've seen. Um, I mean, he, he has, but he's so his training so fucking heavy. He has to be sort of like have an intent to move that weight fast. You can you can see from even even how he vocalizes that he's yeah. doing that. But you take Dusty, who has that mindset and a mind most connection, have him do that pinky twist lat pull down in that slow tempo. And it's going to be a different animal in terms of the, the effort that goes in that set than mm. someone who hasn't doesn't have that background experience of lifting heavy ass slag iron, so to speak, for so long. Um, so he's going to be able to make use of that set. So those sets can be totally effective, um, especially if you know that's the only way you can create a good mind muscle connection. Hmm. But there's some limitations there that I think you run up against um, because you could be limiting, you know, actually. I think what goes along with that, this is maybe one thing that, you know, is sort of goes unspoken. What kind of goes along with that <laughs> is that um, you have to train. You're going to you're going to need to train with lightweights to some degree. But there's 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 not so much of this aggressive mindset. Of like, I want to I want to lift this whole freaking stack. Yeah, I want to I want to brutalize this machine. This machine's going to be my bitch. <laughs> right. And I'm going to take that on. And um, one thing that, you know, I think. From what I've seen, it happens with DC training. It happens with fortitude training. Is is that you start off? You can start off a training cycle, and you've got perfect form, and, and slowly your weights will go up, and you get overly logbook focused. And as long as you know how to reel yourself back, I think there's something to say for that. Every once in a while, you break form, maybe a little bit truly ballistic. You know, you shut, cut your range of motion a little bit short. It's not the end of the world, but you felt those heavier loads, and that and having that mindset tends to drive you towards being a little more aggressive with things as long as you can reel yourself back <clears throat> really self back excuse me and don't end up just being super sloppy although we do have examples of people like branch warren who looked really freaking good training super sloppy yeah um you know probably a really good mind muscle connection behind all that um, i almost feel that's, like that's okay yeah some of the what we're seeing now is almost a, a backlash to that you know we mm-hmm. had so many people that were like we were all inspired a decade ago by guys like Branch, the training of uh, guys like Ronnie, 
you know, and and now mm-hmm. I almost see a backlash to that, uh, which you know it, it, things kind of go in cycles, right? That, mm-hmm. that there's become this Always. like super highly controlled thing, and I almost feel like that's where guys like the Sam Sulik come in. It's almost a pushback mm-hmm. to the overly controlled, the overly processed, the overly perfected diets, everything. Mm-hmm. To to as somebody else pointed out, uh, where was that? <laughs> Stephen, he said. Sometimes I think it's as simple as just living, he- lifting heavy ass weight with a lot of intensity. Uh, that that part of the the comment stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that's really what it comes down to is just like yeah. getting in there and doing it. You know, and I I didn't for myself nobody well somebody did tell me like try being more aggressive, but it, it's something that like you didn't have to show me a study on why it worked. I just tried it, and that's what I would encourage mm-hmm. anybody else if you're mm-hmm. you know the way I expressed. Uh, an aggressive you know concentric try that out still using the control that i talked about Mm -hmm. but being as aggressive and pushing as hard as you freaking can within that without creating momentum and just ask yourself you know like how does that set feel compared to what i normally get you know on a on a movement like a hack squat for instance i mean here's the thing like i said i think high reps will work low reps will work High time and attention will work. Low time and attention. Will work. <laughs> slower, slower. I, I mean, I think slower tempo and higher tempos will work, and it probably varies. I think, I think, really, some of these arguments that this works better than that yeah. comes from someone's personal experience. Yeah. And someone else has a different personal experience, right? Yeah. But it, but if we think about it, think about it this way. So let's just say, like, let's just say you're someone that we're on, like you're, like what we take from the average is that both high reps and low reps would work for you. Right? Okay. Um, or, or let's say slow tempo and, and faster tempo would both work for you. Okay. And you start off in a training block and, and you're staying within the realm of, of what reasonable controlled reps would look like. Right. Yeah. And you start off being slow and controlled. And then over time you get a little bit, a little bit lackadaisical and you start moving things a little bit more, um, more ballistically, so explosively, so to speak, the rep tempo increases and, and you're, because you're beating the log book but you're still you still haven't gotten to where you're just being a you know just a sloppy butthead in the gym. You're just not like throwing weights around, you know, and just just without any con- concern whatsoever for what muscle you're actually training. You're just trying to move the weight, right? Um, so you stay within the parameters of what we know works, and you know we look, the high rep, low rep, the low load, high load rep, um, rep literature is very very clear in this regard. You know you can get growth from a wide range. Of repetitions when you include blood flow restriction in there you've got mm. a whole other a whole other idea so there's a, a wide parameters within which you can work and if if you stay within those parameters and and moving from more controlled to less controlled slower tempo to faster tempo allows you to get stronger over time and just because that fits with your mindset so it fits with your psychology i'm going to go in i'm going to get two more reps this time i know i'm going to and let's say you do but your rep tempo was a little bit faster, right? And but you're still within a normal with rep tempo that's effective. And you go from pressing 185 pounds on an incline to pressing 275 on an incline over the course of four or five years. And but you 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 set yourself back everyone. So this is something I do with my clients a lot. It's like, okay, how's your form? You know, you're getting a little tendonitis. Your shoulders starting to bother you. Various sorts of things. It's like, okay, how's your form? It's like, yeah, I'm probably getting a little bouncy, a little you know, a little um, lackadaisical. So you, you bring things back down or you change exercise, you come back to it and you restart. You're not yeah. as strong as you once were. And when you restart with a lighter weight, 
you don't have this like and you're not and you, the logbook's not in your mind you're just setting a, a, a new baseline in terms of how you're going to move forward right you're not trying to beat previous reps so now you're slow and controlled again right and that still works and then you progress your way up and this time instead of starting at 185 you start at 225 right yeah. or 200 and then you get to 245 and the next time you get to 255 and you keep on going back and forth and over the course of years you have you try various things you're doing slow and controlled sometimes because you know you need to because mm-hmm. you're losing a mind muscle connection and you go heavier at other times those are all effective approaches it's not one is always better in all cases for every muscle for every person right it just doesn't work that way and we know from the science that it's not a one size fits all yeah there's, there's just no no ifs ands or buts about that unfortunately i can i hate to say it, but like i can say with absolute certainty that there are no absolute certainties <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah it's one tool of of many where where mm-hmm. would uh i wanted to ask you so you were obviously you were really good friends with john john meadows mm-hmm. um and i'm sure you guys have had to have talked about this before um, and obviously you can't put words in his mouth, but where would you guess he would have stand, stood on this particular conversation? And, and I know he did use a lot of variety. In fact, looking at John's training and getting like my own experiences with mountain dog training, I felt like that really opened me up to be creative and to say, okay, yeah, so this, this technique works really good for me. And I can file that away is now I have this as one of my tools that I can add to my repertoire of the various techniques I can use to try to evoke a stimulus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not the only thing. It is a great one. Where, where would, what would John have to say on this? If you had to guess, John had this in his programs. I think, I mean, the thing that popped right in my head, it was challenge sets. He did these where you just let loose. There's one of, um, a really good video of Antoine Vaughn training with, with John years ago when John was coaching him. And I think he, he even flat, pressing the 150s and he did like 32 reps or something like that oh god um and there was um I tra- when i trained with john uh out at um elite fts the first compound and dave tate was there and john was having back problems um so he didn't do this but we did a um dave loaded the bar up we did a a partial deadlift off kind of off blocks and i don't know what the weight was it was it was a couple of plates and then like just every fucking chain that he had <laughs> yeah like yeah massive amount of chains the video is still somewhere on the you know, it's, i think it's, it's phd versus meathead okay right? yeah and it was just go to town just go after it just rip into the thing and just be an aggressive animal right and, and if you do that i mean here's the thing um because i've i've gone through um well actually i can i can I can actually sort of well, it's a little bit a little bit different. I, I had an interesting experience here. I got to I got to actually squat for the first time since my, my oh, hip since, replacement. No kidding. Yeah. How'd it go? Yeah. Um well let me let me just give my point and then I'll then I'll say that okay. this kind of relates, but there's too many other variables. I can't say this exactly the same phenomenon. But if you are training, you know, really slow and controlled like that, if you if you haven't done that before, right? And then you go to that, um, one of my sort of markers of novelty is muscle soreness. It's not, you know, don't, you don't want to completely throw it out. You'll be sore, right? Anyone who who's not tried these yet, try row stop deads. It's on my it's on my Instagram channel, um, and you can't use very much weight. They're called row stop deads. I've got a video there. This the gym's got is painted in red, and basically you 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 you're, you do a bent over row. You can do this with a barbell. You do this with the machine, and you pull up to the top of the concentric, and then you and then you extend. You keep the bar there, 
We did yeah. this together. We did those in, in Columbus. Oh, that was the roast Stop Dead. That's the roast Stop Dead. Oh, God, they're, they're brutal. brutal. Yeah, and, they're brutal. Yeah, they're totally brutal. And it's all, I mean, it's a totally controlled contraction. And, you know, when we were doing those, I think I might have used like 185. And at the time, like I was rolling 365, right? Yeah. Um, you can't use very much weight. And they will just destroy you. And it's a very slow, controlled movement. So you go from, you know, more dynamic type of training. It's probably the better word to use to really slow and controlled. And someone made a good point here. Um, Vacky 96 is um, start with the intention of recruiting the muscle. Um, yeah. So he's, he, he quoted me. I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like something I might've said. Um, so you, you, you start the, start the movement with the muscle, your target muscle, right? Initiate there. If you haven't done that for a while and you go, you'll be sore as shit. Oh yeah. Um, and vice versa. If you've been doing a lot of that and you go to, it's like, okay, now I'm going to just get a throw two and a quarter on the bar and do a bent of a row. And I'm going to just go to town. Right. It'll then take no prisoners. Um, so, oh yeah. So, so I was able to squat and I've been doing, um, uh, a week after my, my hip surgery, I did like a body weight set of, uh, body weight squats for a hundred reps. Um, and that felt pretty good, not too bad. And then after that, like I was doing legs like every three, four days, well, I was doing stretches and a bunch of stuff, like literally every day, but doing that for a while now. And then I started doing, um, split squats, um, 50 reps aside, just Whew. a straight one single set. All yeah, right. it was just body weight. Yeah, because I'm not trying. I'm like, I mean, I still have to. I, I still have to have bone forming around the implants here before I go yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then I saw my doc at like a little before four weeks out, and he said, "Well, you." I said, "When can I start spotting again?" He's like, "Well, you can you can go with 135 right now if you want." Okay. Cool. So my next is a couple of days later. Exactly, actually, exactly one month later, um, and uh, I did a set of 50 reps. Um, so that was fun. And I went, but the thing is, I went really, I was like, like, Scott, don't break your femurs. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and the, and the cool thing was that, I mean, dude, it's been so long since we able to squat and I had to kick my left leg out to the side and oh. do some funky activation pattern. I yeah. just went down and I just, I felt my legs felt normal. My hips felt normal. It, it felt good. Just, huh? It, it was, oh, it was amazing. That's so I so just cool, like, man. I, and I went re- and I went really, really slow. So some of this, just kind of, I went really slow. Just was like making sure I don't feel any weird popping noises. Sure. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be ballistic at all. Yeah. Oh God, no. No, not even close. Just and I think I did like about twenty five reps. And most people I would have just stopped there. I'm like, oh, this feels really good. And it's only like it's one thirty five, <laughs> you know. And on yeah. my machine with my 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 um uh my top squat attachment, it's only twenty fives on the bar. But that's okay. one, it's about one forty probably because the bar weighs like seventy five. Anyway. So I rested. I'm like, I want to do five more reps. So I did five more reps. I'm like, well, that's like 30. I'm like, we did five more. I just went, and it was, it was no weight on my back. My low back was had no problem with that. Normally, with a heavier squat, I'd be like, I got to get the reps done because my low back's going to give in. Yeah. And I did five more, and then they started getting hard. I actually filmed this, so I could probably put this up on Instagram. Yeah, um, you should. And then I did like two or three more, and, and then I and then I got close, to, and then I got up to around 40. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try to get 50. So I'm like. Then, but I felt really good with the movement. I just done forty reps, and then I just banged out relatively rapidly. This was what was interesting, exactly what we've been talking about. If I kept going at that slow, controlled pace, yeah, with as much rest, I wouldn't have been able to get to fifty. Uh, There's no yeah. other way because I was doing like doubles, two at a time. I was like, you know, widowmakering this thing out. And if I kept <laughs> going at that pace with the slow, wouldn't wouldn't I would have probably gotten forty five, maybe forty six, forty seven. 
but I, I'm like, you know what? I think I can get to 50 if I just start going back and forth. And it wasn't like I wasn't bouncing, you know, I wasn't springing off of support anything. And I got 10 more and I ended at 50. Um, nice. And then man. I got really sore. I bet <laughs> like, you did. And here's, I want to share this. Maybe this is the, I don't, we're going to keep this short today, but I'll, I wanted to, this is really interesting. So one thing that happens with muscle soreness is inflammation. And with inflammation, you get fluid, right? Okay. You can yeah. see, I know at least I've seen up to 20% increase in cross-sectional area with an MRI of, for instance, the quad muscle when it's been, been damaged. And that's, that's the sizable, right? Um, and I've got a hematoma still. I've got incisions, obviously, on both legs. Both hips are replaced. And I got a hematoma on the right side. It's been the doc knows about it. Like he's I'm going to go see him in a couple of weeks about it. Okay. And so it's big round mound. You know, it's kind of nasty looking. And when I got done with that, the 50 rep set, he's like, you have that hematoma because you're so active because I'm putting in like 10,000 steps on some days, you know, and and then lifting everything else. And when I got done, I got a pretty decent amount of water retention on it on that right leg. And about three days later, the soreness was really pretty bad. <laughs> right. Um, and I got, and I got water on the left side too. Um, and then about, about four days later, it was going away on the left side. And the left leg would have been the one that what I would expect it would have gotten the most sore because that's the one that I hadn't been able to use as much. Okay. And it was, it was getting better. Like no problem. Okay. This is cool. The right one was not. And finally about, I think it was four, maybe five days later, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I want to see if I can get this water retention to go down. So I iced my, and I don't like ice at all. I was using Chinese medicine stuff, but it really wasn't um, getting rid of the water. And I iced the, uh, the incision, this big sort of mound of water. I mean, I had water like fluid all the way down to my knee and my adductor. Oh, it wasn't God. bruised. It was just fluid, you know, just okay. kind of nasty. You could see like, it's my, my, my legs, my skin's like stick as the skin in the back of my hand. Okay. And you know, like there's like this big, like, you know, thick skin fold of water there. Yeah. I did that once, like in the evening, and went on a dog walk, and I iced when I went to bed. The next day, I woke up, ninety percent of my soreness was gone. Okay, okay. So, which was like, okay, this was so what was interesting there. My my suspicion is is that the stension of the muscle because I didn't ice my quad, I iced the upper quad, but the bottom half of my quad is where I was feeling muscle soreness. But there was fluid retention there too, and I got rid of that fluid retention. I think that the pressure ah. somehow, in terms of how my brain's interpreting. The soreness, whatever else is going on in terms of actual inflammation, is the fluid is a large component of that. When I got I rid of the fluid, that. it wasn't, I could see wasn't that. like all of a sudden. I, yeah, I mean, it was like that fast. And the fluid I, went away really, really fast. It was really, it surprised me. I've noticed that with um, getting like a bad quad shot. And and okay. what I had done in the past, that you get swelling in your leg and you're getting massive pain. And if I if I used an ACE bandage and wrapped it, and went to bed and the next day I'd wake mm. up and it would have pushed the fluid out and mm-hmm. from, from that swelling and, um, and, and the pain would be dramatically less as well. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, because of these incisions, I've had, you know, fluid on my, on my quads now for, it's not nearly as bad now, but for the first three or four weeks and my, I've gone out for walks and I felt like literally for the first month, I felt like I had just decimated my, my quads. No kidding. No just kidding. Just create like, like more muscle soreness than I like that could, that's way too much to that. And, but I hadn't done any quad training aside from those, those lunges and splits or those split squats and you know, nothing that would have, and that wasn't changing my level of soreness. So it was the fluid. So exactly what you said. Um, so I found that was pretty interesting. Um, I got something to, to wrap us up on here, Scott. This is a uh, check okay. out what I found. Ah, let's see if I is. can see if I can play this. Yeah, look, and... look at those friggin' chains. I know. I don't right. Know. I think I can. So that was like, 
How Maybe do I 315 add on the plate. back in here? I think I can do something like, let's see. Okay, there we go. Yeah, now we go like this. Boom. We'll do one of those. That way we can stay in the corner. And uh, see if I can yeah. go to full screen here. There we go. I'm going to leave the sound turned off. I don't know what you guys uh, are listening to. He's yelling at me. In the is, that what, is that all it was? Let's hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, a two minute and 15 second video 13 second video well uh, dave's the next one i think okay when was this scott how long ago about oh well it probably says there um when the i can look afterward i'm on full yeah. screen so i can't oh, i can't see it 16 17 maybe okay it was a good time man that was a good point mm-hmm you were jacked there too. Look at those triceps. You yeah, guys see I that? I had a belly belly full of uh, intra as well. Did you? So I'm not even. Yeah. We're just and a head full of hair too. Look at that. You got the know, long right? hair and everything going on. <laughs> I just think I try another one. And that was it. Dang! Each one of those chains is what 15 pounds or so, <laughs> something like that. You know? I don't know. 20 and pounds. Dave. Yeah. Um, Dave was an anyways, anim- Dave was an animal with his training. Oh yeah, it was so much fun. Um, I think I got him on this set. If you count the reps, I don't remember. But I ah uh, shoot, we'll just uh, we'll say you did regardless. How about that? I'm pretty sure I did, but I mean this was and this wasn't long after Dave had his hip replacement. I think no, no kidding. Yeah, he was one of the so you know one of the things that I and this is why I asked my doc. Dave's got a funny video where he um he actually documented a squat before his uh hip replacement to see where he was at and then seven weeks later he, he came back to that weight so bought a box squat there yeah. and he squatted the same um same weight for i think the same exact same reps right yep. and he brought okay. it into his doctor yeah it's like seven or eight weeks out and he's and he shows it to his shows it to his doctor and his doctor watched like the first couple reps he can find the video and um thought Dave was going to fall down there. <laughs> I was running because it looked like he was going to fall forward over the bar, right? Yeah, yeah. This is good. Um, and his doctor watched the first couple reps. He just hands the phone back to him. And Dave's like, well, he didn't watch the whole set. And his doctor's like, he's like, what are you doing? And, <laughs> and I can't remember exactly what Dave said or the doctor said, but he says, he says, you see, I think he says something. You see those little, little, little screws in your phone, little bitty screws. He's like, would you use one of those screws? To hold that picture up on the wall over there, he's like, no. He's like, that's kind of what's going on in your in your legs right now. So don't lift those heavy weights anymore. You're not ready for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's too much, right? So I mean, I, I would have done that too. Because it, I mean, it feels like it could go, but you never know, right? So yeah. I'm taking my time. My, I'm thinking I'm going to work up and see. I mean, I, the last time a few days ago I squatted again, and this time I did. 50 reps continuous. I don't know if your doctor meant for you to do 50 rep sets. First of all, he probably well, imagined you doing like would, a, you know, casual eight reps with the, he would never one plate. Expect, no? but, but here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> Obviously here's the thing, though, you know, with the, I think it's, there's sort of with the bone, it's a little different than muscle. Right. You know, and it's like, he's like, this, just don't want to have any more weight than that. Right. On the yeah. bone. You know, I mean that I'm under that load for a longer period of time. I mean, I could do five sets, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that would basically, for the bone, be roughly equivalent to doing one set of fifty. But for the muscle, it's a whole different deal. Absolutely. So 
I'm trying to make the most out of the weight I'm allowed to use. He said <laughs> at eight weeks, no, 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 three months, I'm able to go to 315. Okay. Um, told me so. And that's what I kind of used before. It was on the Smith machine at this gym, this a local gym, because I just wanted to like document it on that. So I'll go back to that. And I, I think I'm hoping, you know, we'll see. I don't want to. I hadn't. I didn't get sore really nearly as bad after my the last time. This was just a few days ago, and I did 50 reps like right in a row. Okay. Um, yeah. No problems. Straight the whole time. A little bit, a little bit faster tempo, but that was pretty hard. There was no more really left. I, you know, I just stopped to 50. And I'm hoping eventually, you know, I'll be able to do. I mean, 100 would be cool, um, <laughs> but, but it all depends on how you do them. I think if I went back and did those 50 reps really slow and controlled um, the way or tried to do reps again, like I did that very first set, it would be a different story. It would probably be just as hard now. It's not like I've gotten tremendously more fit, right? But I will mm. get more fit, I think. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I'm thinking if I could do 75 reps with 135, I could probably get 315 for more than 12. If you can get up to like 75 reps, we're getting into like Tom Platt's territory. I don't care how much weight is on the bar. You know what I mean? Not even going to compare myself to Tom Platt. <laughs> you get yeah. 100 reps. That, we get a, a patch. Yeah. This is like the Tom Platt's uh, uh-huh. squat club. Something like there's, that. Um, there's, a, there's a couple um, videos. There's You can, uh, a guy named Sarge. So you can, it's one of the craziest. Sarge, uh, Sarge's attempt at body, rate, body weight squats for 100, and he got 98. Holy and crap. And it's a 10 minute set. Yeah. It's a 10 minute set. It's a that's video's a brutal. out there. Sarge is the guy's name. That's, oh, a, that's totally a brutal, brutal set. You can do a with lot the, with, with body the free weight. bar too. Okay. Wait, with the free bar, but, body weight squats. What the, do you mean then? So he's no, he, his body weight was on the bar. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. He squatted that's, his body weight. That's pretty crazy, dude. Reps. That's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. He got 98. He didn't quite make it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. So, 135. I mean, I weigh like probably 200 right now, something like that. Yeah. So you know, 135 is you know maybe it's a little more than two thirds. And your I cardio guess. too. Like it's it's such a oh, such a great things. tool for strengthening your cardio doing high rep squats. You know what I mean? You know what was weird is it wasn't that hard cardio wise. Huh. And you're in like a um, very humid environment too. I mean, maybe it's drier yeah. this time of year, but I don't care. South Florida is always going to be, yeah, like a jungle, basically a swamp. So it was just one set, you know, and I think like, cause I've, you know, I do, I've been doing like lots of rest pauses with squats, yeah. you know, where I go and on that, on my iron, iron master, I would have like, what was I doing? I'd have like a 45 and then 25, 25, 25. And I do set and set and set and work my way down from pull a 25 off and drop sets and those were harder um you know what's you know what's the thing i also do and this is this isn't exactly how you do it but one thing i kind of did it for my hips before and i did it again is right when i get done with that set i go it down into a deep squat all the way down just with no weight on my shoulders okay and just and stay there for 90 seconds whoo that's a bitch yeah that's yeah it's kind of cool it's kind of cool because i just like okay there's the pain how you doing, Mr. Payne? I'm going to sit here and we'll just wait it out for the next 90 seconds. Yeah. And eventually it's done. And it's over with. But it's, it, it, but I think I think that increases muscle because you're trapping those metabolites. That's a tremendous stimulus. Oh, okay. I'm just sitting there. I'm not doing anything, but it burns like a motherfucker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and it's a it's a nice stretch. It's, it's good to be in that, you know, deep squat position stretched out. It stretches the muscle as well. And it's, it creates a massive there's a massive amount of metabolic stress. 
Sure, so, I could definitely see that. Yeah, it's like try that next time. You, you know, you you could like, do that actually. You know, the way yeah. you're training, like that was something you could add is finish your legs and then just go go right down to a deep squat. Yeah, that might could, that might be like squats. a great way to intensify it without taxing my cardio ability. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it's it's great for for mental toughness. I, think. I talked to Mario uh, Mario Novo uh, when we were down mm-hmm. in Swiss about um, blood flow restriction, and he's had some evolution in thought. He used to say that okay. uh, you really wanted to use the, the like the calibrated cuffs, that mm-hmm. it was really important. And he said, now he's like, you know, I think the straps actually have a place. He's like, if you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and you know how much tension to use. He said, people are pretty good at being able to control that tension and be able to feel how much tension you're, you're adding to the strap and being able mm-hmm. to replicate that. He said, now, if you're trying to do a study, that's where the calibration comes in because you want it to be absolutely right. precise for the study. He was like, but for people that are doing it every day, he was like, maybe we don't need. Because before, it was a big limiting factor because talking to him about it and going his using his ideas, it would have been at least they had a, like a cheap set of cuffs that were like $600, you know? So it was like a major uh-huh. limiting factor to get involved, you know? Right. Right. <clears throat> Whereas now he's saying he thinks the straps, he's a little more open-minded to it. You know, the straps could be beneficial. Okay. Yeah. Jeremy Lenicky has a paper out um, kind of documenting that. Like I think, I think it was like they had sort of a, you know, a scale as the tightness or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Okay. I don't want to misspeak, but I think you, you tighten it down to an eight out of 10. But okay. I don't know what 10 was supposed to represent. Yeah. But I imagine if you calibrate the person and say, this is how it's supposed to feel. Right. Pump them up with a manometer, you know. You could replicate cuff, that. It's like, okay, that, we'll you, come you close. replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I've been thinking and, about and getting into it. Yeah. I mean, that would be great for you, dude. I think it would be you too. Know? Just for a lot of factors, including clotting. Uh, I guess it could be really beneficial for producing an enzyme if you does this ring a bell to mm. you producing an enzyme that breaks up clots mm. i don't know i'm not sure what what he might meant by that my concern would actually be getting a clot because of the, of the blood pool right right that's right a, that's a very just very small risk of that um, yeah i guess I, I, I don't want to say too much more because i'm not it's like literally that's all i had i already said mm-hmm. so i, I can't okay. really elaborate i can't elaborate on it right yeah. If you want to bring him on the show, that'd be cool. I would love to talk with That would Mario. be cool. I've been wanting to bring him on. Didn't he? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, I did just like a one-on-one with him a while, a couple of okay. years ago now. So he's That's he's right. kind of switched professions at this point. He's doing some other stuff, but I'm sure he would oh. love to come on and still talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell contact. you about that. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in for this Sunday live. Uh, everybody who's not at the Olympia or driving home from maybe they are. Maybe they're flying home today. Maybe they're in the airport right now and they're hanging out with us while they wait for their plane or their layover. And if they are, you, you didn't see the whole thing. You can roll it back and watch from the start. We're going to do a live episode tomorrow of It's Just Bodybuilding on Monday at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. And uh, if you're looking for something to read on your on your flight home, you can go to byobbcoach.com and you can buy Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. Of course, uh, yeah, there you go. And uh, reach out to other of us for you reach out to Scott for consultations, reach out to me for coaching, and we'll have that information in the description. We appreciate you guys hanging with us. And Scott, thank you for your insights on this. The answer is there is no absolutes. That's what I think it I got depends. on this today. Yeah. It depends. <laughs> yep. Right. Thanks for hanging with us, guys. All right. Adios. Enjoy Sunday.
Uh, da, 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 finishing.